Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to the show. Settle in, get comfy, put on that pot of coffee, settle back, ease off the gas pedal, because we have a wonderful journey for you to take tonight. Our guest tonight, Graham Hancock, is the author of the, of the major international bestsellers, the Sign and the Seal, which you've heard of before, and this one for sure, Fingerprints of the Gods and Heaven's Mirror. His books have sold more than 5 million copies worldwide and have been translated into 27 languages. His public lectures, radio, and TV appearances include two major TV series for Channel 4 in the UK, of course, folks, and The Learning Channel in the U.S., Quest for the Lost Civilization in Flooded Kingdoms of the Ice Age. You know, folks, I can go on and on and read his whole bio, but I would rather speak to Graham in person. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright, your voice in the dark. For Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. And now your host, Brent Holland. Greetings, greetings, one and all. Our guest tonight, Graham Hancock, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Entangled. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you. Um, Graham, I wonder, for those of us uh, that are listening right now that haven't had any um, experiences in your subject matter, I was wondering if you could tell the folks a little bit about your history and a little bit about what inspired you to go in this particular direction. Okay. Well, um, I've been writing uh, nonfiction books about... uh, mysterious aspects of history for for more than the last uh, 20 years. Uh, My particular interest has been the possibility of a a lost civilization. Could there be a major forgotten episode in human history? Uh, And uh, certainly my best-known non-fiction book, um, Fingerprints of the Gods, um, uh, is, is a thorough uh, exploration of that uh, of that possibility. It's not a possibility that is accepted by mainstream historians or archaeologists. They have the view that human civilization is only 5,000 years old uh, and that it's been a slow, steady, upward climb until the pinnacle of modern human achievement in the 20th and 21st centuries. But I, I've taken a, an alternative view and I've suggested that the the evidence supports the possibility, which is spoken of in myths and traditions all around the world, uh, that we have lost a hugely important episode uh, in the human story. Uh, Atlantis, by any other name, um, with the, the, the story of Atlantis was passed down to us by the Greek philosopher uh, Plato and speaks of a great civilization uh, that existed 
um, 9,000 or more years before his time that was destroyed in a single terrible day and a night with earthquakes and floods uh, and that it, the, the disaster was so complete that after, afterwards mankind had to begin again like children with no memory of what went before and in fact the Plato Atlantis uh, tradition which he passes down to us is reflected in thousands and thousands of myths and traditions from all around the world whether you're in the Middle East whether you're in India whether you're in China whether you're in the Americas uh, this story is told with a different name for the lost civilization but the essential picture is the same uh, a golden age of human achievement uh, the, the people of that time somehow went wrong, they went down a dark path, they became arrogant, they became cruel, they angered the gods, and the gods sent a great flood uh, to uh, wipe the earth clean of, of uh, these problematic people and to begin, uh, to begin again. That, that, in short form, is the essence of the myth, it's the essence of the Atlantis story. Uh, and I set out to see whether there might be some some truth to this and and the conclusion I came to is that uh, that once we take account of the cataclysmic events that occurred at the end of the last ice age around 12,000 years ago uh, it's entirely reasonable to suppose that uh, that we could have lost a uh, whole civilization and that almost all traces of it could have been wiped away you're listening to night fright your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio the time is now and now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, if you're just joining us tonight, we're speaking to a profound thinker, somebody you've heard of before. Graham Hancock is our guest this afternoon. We're talking about the lost civilization of Atlantis. You know, those rumors have been around. I, you know, I hearken back to the day of Donovan. He was a, he was a singer, and he wrote a song called Atlantis. And yeah. um, it's it's based on uh, as you say coming from plato he told us about atlantis now what makes this pass from the realm of myth from legend into the realm of reality graham well um what what makes it is and what i've tried to do um in in all of my my non-fiction work on this subject has been you know many of us feel that historians and archaeologists are too rigid in their thinking and are not giving us uh, are not giving us the whole picture. Not necessarily because they're they're sinister conspiracists, but because they're locked into a particular reference frame about the nature of human society. And so, what I set out to do, myths and legends on the uh, on their own will never persuade uh, the mainstream. But uh, if it's possible to provide thoroughly documented facts and evidence. Uh, for the possibility of a lost civilization, then at least there's a reasonable case to be made that we should consider this seriously and take it into account. And so that's what I set out to do in a series of books, was to provide uh, evidence for this extraordinary possibility. And the evidence is very wide-ranging. Um, you ask what brings it into the realm of fact, and, and, and what brings it into the realm of fact, for example, um, are a number, really quite a number, hundreds of maps that have come down to us uh, from the Middle Ages, but in every case, these maps turn out to be uh, based on earlier source maps which have been lost. So they were copies made in the 15th or 16th centuries of much older maps which have no longer come down to us, which have perished and faded away. And these maps, these mysterious maps, 
show the world, uh, first of all, with, with stunning accuracy, but secondly, there are specific details on it that we can now realize show the world as it looked during the last ice age more than 12,000 years ago because you see in the ice age there were gigantic ice caps two miles deep sitting on top of northern Europe and North America um, and when these ice caps melted down cataclysmically all the water that they contained went back into the world ocean um, and sea levels rose by 400 feet uh, all around the world so you can imagine with sea level 400 feet lower how different the world looked. There was, for example, no Red Sea. There was no Arabian Gulf. Uh, the southern India was joined on to Sri Lanka. Uh, Southeast Asia, instead of being a peninsula and an archipelago of islands, was a gigantic uh, continent-sized uh, landmass. The, the three main islands of, uh, of Japan were, were joined together into one, uh, into one uh, single larger island, and so on and so forth. And so it's very puzzling uh, to find maps which show these features. With modern geological studies, we can reconstruct how the world looked during the last ice age. And lo and behold, these maps uh, match that world uh, very, very precisely. And even more interesting, our civilization didn't discover the continent of Antarctica until the 19th century, but Antarctica appears very accurately depicted uh, on all of these ancient maps. So that, for me, was the first hint that, uh, that some civilization which was capable of exploring and mapping the world, and indeed discovering Antarctica, uh, lived and existed on this planet uh, during, during the last ice age. And this is a very revolutionary idea for archaeologists uh, to accept. And then there are many intriguing stone monuments, the Great Sphinx of Giza, for example, officially dated to uh, 4,500 years ago, uh, but the evidence of the weathering patterns on the body of the Sphinx and in the enclosure that surrounds the Sphinx is that this monument was subjected after it was made to thousands and thousands of years of heavy rainfall. And such rainfall has never fallen in Egypt in the last 5,000 years. Again, you have to go back to the end of the last ice, ice age when the great ice caps were melting to get that level of rainfall that could have caused uh, this erosion. And there are just many, many, many more examples around the world. And finally, to take the investigation to its, to its furthest possible limit, um, I spent uh, six years with my wife, Santa, who's a photographer, uh, scuba diving uh, all around the world, uh, finding structures, man-made structures underwater, often at great depths of depths of up to 110 feet. Um, and, and, and again, I think this is compelling uh, factual evidence that we need to reconsider uh, the history that we've been presented with. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host... Brent Holland. You know, this begs several questions, but first I'm going to introduce you once again to the folks that are just joining us. Folks, if you are indeed just joining us, our guest today, Graham Hancock, we're talking about a lost civilization. That civilization you've heard of before, Atlantis. And there is definite proof that this civilization existed, as Graham will explain and has been explaining. He's got a new book out. The book is called, as I flip through my pages here, and I apologize for that, Entangled. As always, www.nightfrightshow.com. 
www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the book cover. You'll see it there, predominantly displayed, right beside Graham's name. Click on that. That'll take you right to a place where you can order it online from the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to leave home. It'll come right to your door. I urge you to get the book. It's a terrific book. Uh, it will detail specifically... Well, let me, let me say... Sure, please go let, ahead. Let me say about, it, about Entangled, because Entangled is a new direction uh, in my work. Please go um, ahead. I've been, I've been writing nonfiction for, 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 for 20 years, I've, and I've really walked the walk. I don't just talk the talk. When, I, right. when I have to look for, for, for underwater ruins, uh, I go diving in order to, in order to find them. Um, and, and I fought the battles with the academics who believe that such a thing is impossible uh, day in, day out for the, past, uh, for, for the past 20 years. But with Entangled, uh, I have taken a, a new path in my writing, and I'm hoping very much that my readers will come with me, because Entangled is my first novel. It's a work of fiction. It's a, it's a fantasy, adventure, time travel novel. Um, in which uh, we have two characters, one uh, a young woman living 24,000 years ago in the Stone Age, uh, and one a young woman living in modern Los Angeles in the 21st century. The modern character is called Leone, and the ancient character is called Rhea. And they, uh, the, the, the essence of this novel is that time uh, is a very mysterious thing, and it is not at all what it seems to be. You know, we think of time as something that runs in a straight line from past through present to future. We think that cause and effect can only work from the past into the future. We don't imagine that it might work uh, the other way round. Um, and these, in, in, in my novel, Entangled, the conception of time is totally different, that it's cycles and spirals that intersect, that different time periods do have an influence on one another, both backwards and forwards in time. And to cut a long story short, my two young heroines are brought together by supernatural forces uh, to do battle with a demon who is traveling through time and who is seeking to mislead the human race, to, to take the human race down a dark path, to, make us, uh, to, make, to lead us into making choices that are, that are, that are harmful and evil and, and wrong. Um, and the, the, the role of these two young women brought together across time uh, is to stop this demon in his tracks and not allow him to manifest fully uh, in the in the 21st century, and I do not um, propose a time machine as the means by which these two young women gain contact with one another. What I propose is altered states of consciousness. Uh, specifically, the first encounter occurs when the modern character um, has a near-death experience, and out of her body, she's transported back in time uh, and meets the the character in the Stone Age, and that's when they begin to discover their mission that they've been called together uh, to fight the demon uh, called uh, Sulpa. And later in the story, um, it is um, psilocybin uh, in the ancient world, which is used as the means to induce altered states of consciousness and travel through time. And in the modern, in the modern character, it's uh, DMT, uh, dimethyltryptamine. Now, both of these are powerful uh, visionary plants and powerful uh, hallucinogens, but in my last non-fiction book, way after Fingerprints of the Gods, way after Underworld, my last non-fiction book published in 2005 was called Supernatural, 
And in that book, uh, I investigate the, the mystery of shamanism and altered states of consciousness and an incredible moment in the human story back in the Stone Age when, when it seemed that the hum modern human mind was just switched on. Uh, and there are amazing images in the, in the cave art which suggest contact with spirit beings and spirit entities and that they may have been responsible for this. So it was research that I did while working on Supernatural. And fundamentally, uh, an extraordinary experience that I had in the Amazon jungle sitting down with shamans and drinking the powerful visionary brew called ayahuasca, uh, when this story came to me like a kind of download, um, I, was, I was given the whole, the essence of the story, the two young characters separated by 24,000 years, the, the time travel, the battle against the demon, and, and I was given a very specific instruction by the, the, the spirit being that all shamans in the Amazon believe lies behind the ayahuasca brew, and that instruction was, go home and write this story. Uh, so I found myself switched onto a different path, writing fiction, but working into the fiction uh, extraordinary ideas about the nature of reality, about good and evil. So fundamentally what I set out to do was to write a compelling, fast-moving, rip-roaring yarn, but to wind up into it uh, very remarkable ideas about the nature of reality. And it seems to me now that this will be my path for the future. And I'm hoping that the readers of my nonfiction will come with me on this journey. Uh, and, will, and, and, and will empower me to continue to write more fiction because one thing I've discovered is the publishing world doesn't want me to write fiction. They want to lock me down into the non-fiction realm. And having walked that walk for more than 20 years, um, I, I know now that my calling is to express these unusual ideas in the form of a, of, of a gripping and engrossing story. Um, and, and then for the first time, instead of having to constantly spend my life fighting with narrow-minded academics and arguing and disagreeing with them about every dot and comma in everything I've written uh, and trying to bulletproof my arguments against them as happened more and more in my non-fiction work. Now I can express all these extraordinary ideas in my narrative, uh, but I don't have to worry about the academic response at all because if they get uptight about it, I can say, hey, hey guys, you know, relax, it's just fantasy. You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Precisely. And um, just to let you know, folks, that book is available, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover, as always. We'll take you right to a place where you can get it online. I've got a bunch of questions for our guest this afternoon, Graham. Uh, Hancock is our guest. His new book is called Entangled, and he's just given us a brief synopsis about it. You mentioned that it, the whole storyline came to you as a download, and you were given specific yes. instructions. Do you think it was more? Do you think this story is more than just fiction? Perhaps could it be yes. a prophecy? Yes. Aha. Uh, I feel it is. I feel it is more than just fiction, and I'll tell you why. And while yes, I sir. tell you, I would also like to emphasize that this is not reflecting any special quality in me. This is, reflecting the, this is reflecting the mysterious nature that this material was, was mm -hmm. given to me. 
And, 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 and to also to emphasize further, uh, perhaps ma ma many listeners will, may feel it's weird or strange that somebody could go to the Amazon and sit down with shamans and, and drink a powerful uh, visionary brew, which, by the way, makes you physically quite ill when you work with it, and have visions and have experiences and have encounters with a, with a supernatural being, which lead that person to write a story. Um, but if you do go to the Amazon and work with the shamans there, you'll find that uh, actually what they're saying makes, makes perfect sense. Uh, and some modern scientific research, for example, Rick Strassman at the University of New Mexico has worked with DMT and human volunteers completely legally with the permission of the federal government and found that all his volunteers under the influence of DMT were going into the same parallel universe, if you like. Shamans call it the spirit world. Quantum physicists call these things parallel universes. Uh, and in these parallel realms, they were encountering intelligent entities that communicated important information to them. And as it happens, this same substance, DMT, is the active ingredient of ayahuasca. But in the Amazon, uh, the, it's not just pure DMT, it's mixed with the properties of a vine. Ayahuasca actually means the vine of souls. Um, and, and all shamans in the Amazon, and, and there's evidence that they've been using ayahuasca for more than 4,000 years, they're enormously experienced with its use, um, are confident that behind the brew lies a supernatural entity. They call her Mother Ayahuasca, or the Spirit of Ayahuasca, or Our Lady of the Forest. Uh, and her primary business is the protection of the planet and the raising of human consciousness. Um, and, and that she is a great teacher and, and healer uh, and inspirer of mankind. This is how it is understood, and that she cannot intervene directly in the physical world. The only way that she can intervene is through influencing human consciousness. And what happened to me, and this has been very strange, and it's why, I, why I'm convinced that, uh, that, uh, that, there is, that, that there are important truths uh, coming through in this novel. Uh, for example... One of the key elements of the novel concerns our um, cousins, our evolutionary cousins, the Neanderthals, uh, who coexisted uh, in Europe with anatomically modern humans like you and I, who were called the Cro-Magnons. Uh, the Neanderthals coexisted with them for tens of thousands of years. Uh, and then suddenly, around 24,000 years ago, the Neanderthals vanished uh, completely. They became, they became extinct. Um, and for a long time, there's been a view in science that the Neanderthals were very dull-witted, very stupid. You know, we actually use the word Neanderthal mm -hmm. as of the day. If we want to insult somebody, we'll call them a Neanderthal, and that suggests that they're, they're brutish, uh, ignorant, um, and, 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 and perhaps even violent. Uh, but in my story, the Neanderthals are, are the fountain of goodness. They are, they are pure love and truth. They are incapable of violence. They don't speak, but they communicate telepathically. They have healing powers. They care for members of their community who have been injured or who become ill. They are filled with compassion. Uh, and, and astonishingly, although I completed the story more than a year ago, uh, just uh, this, this month as we're, as we're speaking in October 2010, a flood of new information has come out from science which proves that the Neanderthals were indeed compassionate and loving creatures. For example, they found evidence of blind Neanderthals who 
survived long after they became blind and who were looked after and cared for by their communities. Neanderthals who'd lost an arm or a leg in a non-compassionate community, they would just be cast to the wolves. But the Neanderthals looked after them, aged Neanderthals, crippled and infirm, who'd been cared for for many, many years after, after their illness set in. So it's now widely accepted that the proposition that I put forward in the novel, that the Neanderthals were poor, pure goodness and compassion, this is now uh, a, a subject of many mainstream scientific reports. You can't miss it. It's all over the Internet at the, at the moment. Another example, when I was writing in Tangled, I, I, it came to me that the Neanderthals had red hair and also that it was possible that Neanderthals and humans uh, made love, that there was interbreeding between Neanderthals and humans. And again, this idea at the time I was writing it was regarded as totally ridiculous by mainstream scientists. But now today, uh, again, within the last uh, few months, new evidence has come out. And that new evidence is that the Neanderthals did have red hair, and furthermore, that there was interbreeding between Neanderthals and humans. In fact, now that the Neanderthal genome has been sequenced, we know that around 4% of all modern human genes are owed to the Neanderthals. And in very specifically, the gene for red hair in modern human communities comes from our Neanderthal ancestry. Wow. Uh, so again and again, um, issues that I had explored, I thought in a, in a fictional realm, and that came to me in this mysterious download in the Amazon jungle, um, turned out uh, months or years later to be supported uh, by mainstream science. It's, it's also true of the way that I look at the mystery of time uh, in this novel. Quantum physics, there's been some, some new developments in quantum physics which quite astoundingly have suggested that not only does cause and effect move from the past to the future, but that also it may be possible in some ways to rewrite the past by things that we do today. This is a new quantum physics idea, and again, it's an idea that was given to me uh, in the Amazon jungle and that, has, uh, that I expressed in, in, in my novel Entangled. In fact, this notion of time as, as a series of interlocking cycles uh, and, and spirals um, is, is central to the novel and it's central to the latest discoveries in quantum physics. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, I am being specifically quiet today because when you have a gentleman like Graham Hancock on the show, a profound thinker, as I said at the outset, you shut up and listen because I'm learning a ton this afternoon, as I'm sure you are. I'm grilled to my seat. Uh, easy way to get his book entangled, as always, folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the book cover. We'll take you right to a place where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. I should also tell you while you're there, we have something new for you, and that is called Night Fright TV. You're going to see a little picture of me on the left-hand side of every guest um, just a download file real quick. It's still a radio show, folks. It's still an, iCat, uh, an iPod thing you can download to your iPod, uh, as well as listening to the 80 stations we have across the uh, country. Uh, this is just one more element that we're adding to it in case you want to watch a visual. It's a radio show with some video. It is not a television show. So uh, I just want to make that clear. While you're there, of course, there's a ton of stuff in the archives. As you know, we do a lot of stuff on the JFK assassination. Uh, last year, we had Dr. Robert McClelland on the show. His show is there. He's the surgeon who, three minutes after Kennedy was shot, worked on JFK. And what he saw 
the damage to JFK's head and what the Authy photos show are completely different. And this is from uh, a recognized surgeon, somebody with impeccable credentials. You'd like to listen to that show. It's there. Also, I'm mentioning the JFK assassination specifically because we're coming up to the 49th anniversary already. Uh, Sherry Feaster was on the show. She's a senior CSI from Dallas, crime scene investigator, using techniques that she's put criminals away for the past 20 years. She did an analysis of the blood spatters shown in the Zapruder film, that famous film, folks, uh, that of the President Kennedy's assassination. She found a frontal shot, which means, of course, two shooters, because Oswald was supposed to be behind fascinating stuff in the archives the best part of it all as like this show free for you to download there's no charge whatsoever for any of these shows download them buy the books they're a wealth of information stuff you will not get from the mainstream press and this is something that graham has been talking about throughout he has been up against monumental uh persecution if you will uh, to get his story out. And now he's got a great new fictional book called Entangled, www.nightfrightshow.com. I'm going to go back to Graham now. Graham, I am enticed with your new book. Um, this is a completely new direction for you, as you've just said, but based on your past work, it's like it's all culminating yeah. and coming together. Do you feel you've had a spiritual guide even before this insight that you had? Um. Yes, in a in 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 a way, because a the sense. way that the way that the way that my the way that my working life uh, evolved was was quite mysterious. Back in the eighties uh, and and the seventies, uh, I'm 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 sixty years old now, by the way. Um, just celebrated my sixtieth birthday. Oh, congratulations, 70s, my friend! Thank you, thank you. But back in the seventies and eighties, I was a mainstream journalist. My my last official job was as East Africa correspondent for the Economist. Uh, the Economist is a very mainstream current affairs, economics and politics uh, ma magazine, weekly magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, I was just totally interested in current affairs. And I was traveling around Africa, reporting on economic and business matters, reporting on wars, reporting on famines, which poor Africa is always afflicted with. Um, and I found myself in uh, Ethiopia. And I was taken into the war zone uh, to a city that at that time was uh, was very was in the middle of a battle uh, called Axum, and I was flown uh, into that city in a DC-3, which kind of dive bombed the airfield from a great height, just mm. virtually straight down, to avoid being machine gunned from from emplacements uh, of uh, around the airfield. And I spent two days, and got into that town, and I spent two days. It's a very ancient, historic town. It has very, many mysterious monuments, uh, including huge obelisks weighing hundreds and hundreds of tons. Nobody knows who built them. Uh, and, and also ancient Christian churches, because Ethiopia is, a, is an ancient Christian country. In fact, Ethiopia adopted Christianity before anywhere in Europe did. That's right. Um, and, and uh, I found myself finally in the great cathedral complex of St. Mary of Zion. And in the grounds of that cathedral, there's a little stone chapel uh, surrounded by barbed railings. And I, I went up to the railings, and through my translator, I talked to the monk who was inside um, and, and, and asked him what was in the chapel and what did he do there. 
the ark. Uh, and he told me, yes, he told me that he was the guardian of the ark of the covenant. Precisely. And that the ark of the co- the ark of the covenant lay in that chapel behind him. And and uh, well, of course, I did a double take. I mean, this was 1983. It wasn't long after the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark movie came out, <laughs> which is the first time the first time I'd heard of the Raider of the Ark of the Covenant. And suddenly, this uh, this very powerful presence of this elderly monk with with huge cataracts covering his eyes is telling me that the Ark of the Covenant uh, is behind him in the chapel. And he points to his eyes and he said, "It did this to me." And I said, what do you mean it did that to you? And he looked at me through these cataracts and he said, the ark is a thing of fire. And as he spoke, I got chills down my spine and I I realized that I was looking at a man who was telling me the truth. And this was actually the uh, uh, the beginning of my journey because after that I went back and I started checking with academics and they said, yeah, the Ethiopians claim to possess the ark of the covenant, but they just made the whole thing up. Uh, but I, was, I felt called and compelled to investigate. And as I began investigating this story, which ultimately became my book, The Sign and the Seal, A Quest for the Lost Ark of the Covenant, uh, I became convinced that the Ethiopian story could be and very probably was true. Um, and uh, what, what my research involved doing was putting together uh, all the pieces that would make a compelling case for why the Ark is in Ethiopia. And again, I have to cut a long story short, but the fact is we have this community of Old Testament Jews in Ethiopia, the Falashas, or, or who, who know themselves as the Beta Israel, That's right. uh, who, uh, who do not have um, rabbis as modern Jews do. They have priests who perform sacrifice, which is forbidden uh, to all modern Jews, who do not know the Talmud, but do have the Torah. They were like a community of Old Testament Jews, frozen in time in the highlands of Ethiopia. Can I just interrupt you there for a second, Uh, Graham? I'm I'm sorry. Uh, It's not for a question. I just want to orient folks, because this show is broadcast through the university system, 80 stations. A lot of people don't know what the Talmud and the Torah are. Folks, the Torah is essentially the five books of Moses, the Old Testament, as we would call it as Christians. The Talmud is the oral traditions, if you will, uh, very briefly, the oral traditions of Judaism written down. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, Graham. No, thank you for that that, that clarification. That's that's that, that's very useful, um, because the the bottom line of of this to me was there was this very puzzling yep. uh, culture uh, in the highlands of Ethiopia. When you asked them how they got there, they said their ancestors came bringing the Ark of the Covenant. And I began to check the whole route back, and I discovered that the Ark of the Covenant actually does disappear mysteriously from the biblical story. Um, it's installed in the Holy of Holies of the Temple of Solomon, which is built, quote-unquote, as an house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Um, and then, um, within two or three hundred years after that, there are strange references in the Bible that suggest that it has gone missing. And I was able to connect all of this to the story of a heretic king called Manasseh um, in the 600s before Christ, who installed a pagan idol in the Holy of Holies of the Temple in Jerusalem. And um, consulting with biblical scholars, it became clear that the, the traditional uh, Jews of that period could not have allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be polluted by proximity to a pagan idol. That's and right. the suggestion is that that is when it was taken out of the temple, and exactly at that moment, very mysteriously, another temple is built, and it's built in Egypt, uh, in southern Egypt, on the Nile River, near the modern town of Aswan on an island in Elephantina. 
Um, and this temple has the same dimensions as Solomon's temple. And it stands for another 200 years. Then there's conflict between the, the Jewish community of Elephantina and the surrounding Egyptian population. And that Jewish population, that Jewish community of Elephantina Island just disappear from history. But at exactly that time, an amazing story lights up in Ethiopia. Uh, on an island in Lake Tana. Uh, it is said that the Ark of the Covenant was brought there, and all you have to do is mm -hmm. follow the Nile River, and it will lead you to Lake Tana. Isn't that so incredible? It began, it began to make e e extreme sense to me, and, and as part of this research, I, I spent a lot of time in Egypt. I was exposed then to the mysteries uh, of the pyramids, and it was, yes, like I was being guided step by step, initiated uh, on, a, on, a, on a new path, uh, which led me to apply my journalistic skills to the investigation of historical mystery and to try to give the other side uh, of the story that, uh, that mainstream archaeology had not been given. Because, you know, I, I, I'm interested in the focus of your, of your show, you know, because, because as a matter of fact, uh, those who control history uh, control a great deal. Uh, history is part of the mind control mechanism in our society that is used to keep people from asking questions. And I think this is one of the reasons why my work attracted so much hostility, uh, because it does provide uh, ammunition to intelligent folk who want to ask questions about everything. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host... Absolutely, as well. We all should question everything. Everything, everything, everything. Uh, folks, Graham Hancock's our guest. I promised you at the outset a journey, a profound journey, and Graham is delivering on that without question. And it's not over yet, so don't touch that dial, as they used to say. Graham Hancock, our guest, of course, we're talking about his new book. And his new book is called Entangled. It's a fictional book, but it's fascinating because it is based on a vision that Graham had, and it seemed to come to him all at once, and he was given specific instructions on how to write the book and get the message out there. And basically, at its essence, it's a book about good against evil, and I want to talk to him about evil, but first I want to tell you www.nightfrightshow.com Click on Graham's book cover, get this book. Um, you know, Graham was talking about his uh, his other books, especially the one about the Ark of the Covenant, which I had read, and it knocked me on my... Um, well, it's a... Uh, well, you're university students. It knocked me on my ass completely. As all Graham's... It's profoundly researched uh, it is well written. It takes you on the narrative very clearly and explains everything. All Graham's work does that, and we're extremely happy to have him on this show tonight. www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on Graham's book cover. Graham, I said that it was, in essence, this new book is about the battle between good and evil. Part of it makes me sad to believe that there is still evil in the world today, but not only that... Um, in the future as well. Yes. Um, I, I think this is undoubtedly the case. I don't, I don't believe it's an accident that uh, every culture since the beginning of time has had the notion of angels and of demons, uh, which are shorthand for the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a profound uh, truth in this. And I, and I happen to believe, particularly since my 
experience uh, working with, with shamans in different cultures around the world. And you know, really what shamanism is about uh, is making direct contact with the supernatural realm, however we choose to, to define it, that which is not explained by the laws of uh, physics, by the weighing, measuring, and counting that our scientists believe defines all of reality. Shamans don't accept that. They think that reality is much more complex than most Western scientists would, uh, would accept. Uh, and that um, all the time, whether we like it or not, in our daily lives, we are interpenetrated by and connected with uh, invisible realms, realms that are normally invisible to our senses, that only a few very sensitive people are able to pick up on and see. Uh, and shamans have developed a whole range of different techniques to induce altered states of consciousness which allow us to disconnect temporarily from the material realm and to connect fully with the supernatural realm. And in these supernatural realms, there are uh, intelligent entities, uh, some of which mean us harm and some of which mean us goodness. Uh, in fact, in the broader context, it could be said that, that mankind is the fulcrum of a, of a cosmic struggle uh, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And what's special about human beings, very special about us, uh, is that we are part matter and part spirit, uh, and that we have the power of choice. Uh, every time uh, a person takes a step down a, a dark road, uh, inflicts evil or pain or suffering on others, that is happening because of a choice that they've made. And every time that that choice is made, which adds to the misery and pain in the world, it is nourishing the forces of darkness. Just as every time we make a good choice that is helpful and, and, and positive and, and nurturing and kind, we are nourishing the forces of light. Um, and, and there are ancient traditions, for example, very importantly, the Gnostic uh, texts yes. um, of, the, of the third and fourth centuries uh, AD. The Gnostics were a kind of alternative uh, Christian, uh, Christian group. They had elements of Christianity, but they were very different from the kind of Christianity that later was adopted by the Roman Empire and became the Roman Catholic Church. As a matter of fact, uh, the, Roman, the, the Roman Catholic Church persecuted and burnt at the stake uh, the Gnostics, every one of them. They were there. there was an attempt to utterly wipe them out. But we know what they thought because at a place called Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt, uh, near the Temple of Dendera, uh, under a huge rock, they buried a, a, a pottery jar uh, containing an entire library of, that, of their text. And that library was discovered uh, in 1946, and it's been translated. And the Gnostic texts um, really make this whole picture very, very clear that whether we like it or not, we're involved with the supernatural, and that, that, that we must be very careful what choices we make, because we, will, we, we can nourish evil, uh, and, and what we should be doing is nourishing good. Absolutely. Folks, our guest today, Graham Hancock, www.nightfrightshow.com. Dot com website. Click on his book cover. His new book is called Entangled. We're talking about the battle between good and evil, which is the essence of the book Entangled and fiction. Graham just mentioned not the Gnostic texts, and I just want to give you a little bit of background. These are texts that have been associated with Christianity. Um, they were found, as Graham just said, 1946 in a place called Nag Hammadi. And um, the, the text, for example, there's a Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And many people think that this is the 
closest we can ever get to the actual writing and words of Jesus Christ himself. There's uh, also something called the Gospel of Thomas. There's something called the Gospel of Peter. Do a Google search um, on Gnostic, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, for more information on that. Uh, And as Graham rightly accounted, for some reason when they were putting the Bible together, they had these texts that they could have included, and they opted to leave them out, perhaps because they were too esoteric. But then you look at the book of Revelations, and that was included as well in the gospel. So who knows why they left them out? Uh, I have my suspicions. Obviously, there was a lot of control issues going on in the church at that time, uh, as Graham alluded to. And I think today, too, I think um, the power of knowledge scares people in control, and that's what we're talking about today, getting you're, the facts. You're absolutely right. You're um, absolutely right. It's the power, the power of knowledge that scares those who are in control. Um, and and uh... Graham? Oops, we lost Graham, I think. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now and now your host Brent Holland do you have me now yes sir yes sir there you are <laughs> I was just I was just picking up perhaps jumping in too soon on what you just said that that um, that, that there are certain dark forces in our society who fear uh, knowledge they don't want uh, the, the, the general pu- public to 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 be empowered with knowledge uh, they want to keep us uh, ignorant. They want to keep us in darkness. They want to keep us under control as passive and happy uh, consumers uh, and uh, workers and spenders, rather than people who are exercising with full autonomy uh, the mystery of their own consciousness. This gift of consciousness um, is the most precious gift that any human being possesses. Uh, and yet our society works in astonishingly sophisticated ways to shut down and close off uh, human consciousness. Uh, You know, um, reality TV uh, is not illegal, but reality TV is turning the minds of our children to mush. Um, it's for it's obliging it's obliging young people to to focus on trivia on everything that is slight and unimportant on celebrity on 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 the the, uh, the, the material trappings of success and not to consider the deeper mystery and meaning of, of life um, and and indeed just the whole the whole issue of debt in our society the way that people have become saddled into repaying usurious interest rates constantly paying off the interest never paying off the principal how can a person really focus uh, on the on the magic and mystery of being alive when day and night they're constantly servicing the bankers you know so our our society it seems to me is actually designed to entrap uh, human beings in a prison of ignorance uh, and to keep us locked there so that we never ask the fundamental questions and this i do see as a work of evil uh, definitely so, uh, which is preventing us from finding our true path and, and from discovering uh, what we're really here to do. And folks, uh, we're talking about Graham's new book. Of course, Graham Hancock's our guest. Entangled is his new book. Easy way to get it, www.nightfrightshow.com. As always, click on the book cover and order the book. Uh, Graham, let's continue on that line of thought because this is something I think that is that's not coming through enough. Uh, you mentioned reality TV, and I couldn't agree with you more. If anything, that dumbs down people. 
Uh, it makes them complacent. It doesn't really inspire them to ask the fundamental question, why are we here? And what should we be doing for our fellow man? Well, quite the opposite. It, it encourages us not to ask those questions. Precisely. It encourages us to, it encourages us to believe that, um, that the only thing that matters is, you know, competition with our fellow humans and, and uh, that we should add to our material possessions, none of which, I, none of which we actually may take with us uh, when we die. Uh, you know, the ancient Egyptians, uh, who put their best minds to work for 3,000 years uh, on considering uh, the mystery of death, uh, believed that it was a precious opportunity to be born in a human body, that we were being given uh, an opportunity here in this life to perfect our souls. Um, and uh, what it seems to me that the whole conspiracy of modern society is to prevent us uh, from doing that, to turn us into consuming and producing robots uh, who never ask questions, and, and a small elite group uh, keep control of all the facts and, uh, and, and all the information and really just uh, profit and benefit uh, from us and our, and, and our place in the world. And so I do actually believe that we live, uh, we live in a crucial time uh, in the human story because running parallel to this is a great awakening of humanity. Uh, all over the world, people are waking up. They are asking questions. They're refusing to accept the lies. You were talking about JFK earlier on, the lies that have been stuffed down our throats. You know, and people, people are waking up. It's very small at the moment, but in little networks all around the world, in countries that you wouldn't expect, there's a new consciousness dawning. And so I, I think that we live, uh, we live in, a, in an incredibly important time when the choices that we make as individuals and as societies um, will have uh, really vast, uh, vast effects on the future of the human race and, and perhaps on the co cosmos as a whole. I'd like to come back and talk about indigenous folks. You know, folks, right here in Canada, we have a wonderful resource that we have abused over the last few centuries. And it's only now, actually, that we're recognizing what an integral part of this country called Canada this resource is. And, of course, I'm talking about our native people. Native people live as one with the land. There's a profound sense of belonging to the land. You know, David Suzuki... I interviewed David Suzuki for another show, and he was saying precisely that, that there is a profound connection that's not romantic or anything like that, that when you ask a Native person where they come from, immediately they'll say the piece of land. Uh, they'll hearken back to the piece of land. They have a sense of belonging to the land and being responsible to that land. Do you think this is a skill that perhaps we Westerners, we European descendant westerners have lost oh completely uh we've 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 almost completely lost this skill um and 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 i do believe that if we are to recover this skill uh then we must sit uh, at the feet of the indigenous peoples um and learn from them and learn from their shamans because because shamanism uh, is uh, is the essential element of of, of tribal and hunter gatherer societies uh, throughout the world. That was why, uh, for my very fundamental uh, research, I went down to the Amazon and 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 worked in the Amazon jungle with with shamans there. And actually, one of the things I asked them, um, w w when you look at the Amazon today, you know, for me the Amazon is a huge. 
um, it's a huge sacred landscape. Um, it, 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 it's the lungs of our planet. It, it's what's keeping our planet alive. And yet, mysteriously, we're cutting down the Amazon. You can't move through the Amazon today without, without seeing great flotillas of boats moving down river, um, carrying, uh, carrying off the precious hardwoods. The, 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 the clearances that are taking place are taking place at a stunning and horrific rate. Um, and, and you know that these clearances are being done for, for entirely business and economic reasons, that people are cutting down the forests in order to plant soya beans, uh, to feed cattle so that we can eat hamburgers. Um, it's just an incredible uh, error. It's, a, it's an incredible short, short-sighted uh, view, and it's an incredible spiritual mistake that this is being done to the Amazon now, and it's the forces of Western economic greed that lie behind this. And so I asked the shamans in the Amazon, what do you think's gone wrong with the West? Why, why are we such a destructive force in the world today? And they said to me, the answer is very simple. You in the West have severed your connection with spirits. You must reconnect with spirit, with the spirit of the land, with the spirit of the mountains, with the spirit of the trees. You must, you must reconnect with spirit. If you cut yourself off from spirit, you become half a creature, not a full and wholesome creature. And, and this, was their, this was their analysis. And, and uh, I, I believe that they're absolutely right. And that also, uh, amongst such cultures, tremendous knowledge and information is preserved um, on, on how to live right and, 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 and on the properties of plants, for example. Sure. They have a, a most unbelievable and detailed knowledge of the properties of plants. And if we want to reconnect with spirit and reconnect with this blessed and beautiful garden that we've been gifted with called the earth, then we need to sit at the feet of shamans and learn from them because they are the masters of such matters. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, our guest today, Graham Hancock. I don't think there's anybody better at doing what he's doing. We're talking about his new book, Entangled. As always, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the book cover. Graham, I want to throw something out at you. We've only got a few minutes left, but I have this other radio show as well where I interview folks from different backgrounds as well. I interviewed Jane Goodall, and I want to go back mm-hmm. to the Neanderthal aspects. Jane Goodall yeah. believes in Bigfoot. She's been all around the world uh, speaking with indigenous folks from right around the world, they all have an inherent story about a creature that could be described as Bigfoot. I don't want to go into too much detail. She did, but um, do you think the Neanderthals may have survived? And perhaps this is... Yes, sir. Go ahead. I think it's possible. I think it's possible, and and that perhaps they do, uh, they do their survivors uh, do lie behind these um, extraordinary traditions, which, as you rightly say, are found uh, all around the world of a of a of a large uh, human-like creature, which is very shy, which is very careful, which keeps out of our way, and boy, they're smart to keep out of our way. Uh, because we are trouble with a capital T uh, for any creatures that are not uh, violent like ourselves. Um, and well and uh, yeah, it occurs to me. Uh, it occurs to me as very very likely that this may be the explanation for this this uh, mystery of the Sasquatch, of Bigfoot, of the Yeti that we find uh, all around the world. Such stories are also told in in uh, Southeast Asia as well. I mean, it's really remarkable uh, how widespread this is, and 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 it's mysterious. Uh, the way that the Neanderthals disappeared. 
uh, from the global picture. Um, it's really very, mm-hmm. very surprising. And, and, and indeed, this is, the, this is the, one of the essential elements of the story I have to tell uh, in Entangled, because the demonic force is seeking to mislead the human beings of that time to murder and wipe out the Neanderthals. And, and what is crucial for in, in my story for the, for the future of humanity is that we do not do that. And that's what my two young heroines are there in place to, to do. They're there in place to stop the demon misleading people to wipe out the Neanderthals. And this becomes a real uh, fight for their lives uh, and, 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 and a battle of good against evil. And I leave open uh, the, 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 the possibility, uh, well, readers will see as they go through the, through the story, did humans wipe out the Neanderthals or, or not? Um, the, it looks like they did, but just maybe they didn't. And, and if they didn't, then in a strange way, maybe there's still hope for us. Graham, do you retain an optimism for mankind? Yes, I do. I retain uh, I retain a profound uh, optimism for mankind. I think that we've I think that we've been uh, misled uh, for a very long time. Uh, I think that dark spiritual forces are behind this misleading. Um, but we have tremendous powers. Uh, we have um, the power of choice, which is an incredibly important power, and all of us should remember that and, and, and exercise that, that choice, not just blindly to step into decisions that may be harmful or hurtful to others, but really know what we're doing and consider the effects of what we do. In this way, we can nourish our spirit and we can, we can uh, benefit from this tremendous theater of experience that's been offered to us here on the earth. And I still think it's possible, although we stand poised at the edge of the abyss, that we don't have to step over the edge, that we can make a new beginning. And for me, this is the message of, of 2012 as well, the whole thing of the Mayan calendar that everybody's talking about now, which I was writing about as far back as my book, Fingerprints of the Gods, in, That's right. in 1995. It doesn't have to mean the end of the world. Uh, maybe it means the end of a long period of darkness and the beginning of a new period of light. And, and ultimately, uh, the choice is ours, I, I believe. We, we just have to empower ourselves, take sovereignty over our own consciousness, refuse to allow others to, to mislead us. And we all know the truth. We all know what's good. We all know what's right. Folks, we've been speaking with Graham Hancock, and I want to thank Graham for coming on the show. At the outset of the show, I promised you a journey. Continue that journey. Get Graham's book, Entangled. This journey needs to continue, and it should continue. You will enjoy the book profoundly. www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the book cover, Entangled. The author, Graham Hancock, has been our guest tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I've very much enjoyed this conversation, and thank you so much for having Myself me on your as show. Well. Thank you, sir, and uh, we'll do it again for sure. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All the very best to you uh, and your wife. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Best to you, too. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. (laughs) 